Alright, so we are in Hebrews chapter 6. I want you to notice what it says in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned how I wanted to take the time to do just basically some refresher sermons on some basics for us as Christians. It's very important that we always remind ourselves of these things, that we always are strengthening ourselves when it comes to all doctrine. And we never want to just assume that we have something down. We don't want, as a pastor, I should not just assume that everyone just has certain doctrines nailed down in their hearts and mind. And the truth is, too, that it's possible for us to kind of have a, a firm grasp on something, but over time, if we're not diligent in renewing these things and in strengthening these things, we can actually lose these things. And I believe this has even happened in many good Baptist churches. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 1, Therefore, we ought to take the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So great, you've heard something, you've, you've accepted something, but whenever you hear it brought up again, you know what? You ought to listen a little bit closer. Take the more earnest heed because you don't ever want to lose it. You don't ever want to, you don't ever want to forget it. And it is, it's possible that we can forget some things. It's possible that, you know, we can, uh, you know, just become weak in areas doctrinally where we should be strong. You know, we don't want to be, if we're going to be an active soul winner, if we're going to be an effect or an effective soul winner, you know, we don't want to get stumped on some, you know, relatively simple things we're at somebody's house. We ought, we want to be ready to give answers. And I don't know about you, but, you know, mine's like Miss Hazel's doesn't run in my family. You know, I've got to do, I've got to do active work to remember things. And if I'm not renewing stuff, I will forget. And I don't want to forget these things. And so I think it's important that we take time. And here in Hebrews chapter six, basically what we see him saying right here, he's wanting to kind of he, he goes and he names off several basic things, basic doctrine. He's actually wanting to go on to perfection or completion. And in the book of Hebrews, it's about to take a turn here where he's about to go into some pretty deep things. And there's some great stuff there in Hebrews. But these things that he named here at the beginning are in reality the basics. And these are the things that I want to take some time to cover over the next weeks uh, because I think it's important that we all understand these things as a church. And I want you to notice in verse 1 how he mentioned, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today is the doctrine of Christ. And I think, uh, and, you know, and so, and notice how he said, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. This shows us that he had, what he had previously been discussing was just that. What we saw and what we're going to see in Hebrews 1 through 5 is basically the doctrine of Christ. And we're, and man, I'm going to preach one week on the doctrine of Christ and just understand you can't do justice to that doctrine in one sermon. But I am going to uh, just basically remind everybody of some things about Christ, some things that we believe. And rather than, and two, and when we talk about the doctrine of Christ, rather than going to some Calvinist or some Catholic confessions of faith to learn about the doctrine or doctrines of Christ, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to look at Hebrews. We're going to look 
at what whoever wrote Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, what they said about the doctrine of Christ. And I promise you'll get a lot more from that than you will from some confession, some catechism or something like that. We should go to the scriptures. And it is it's it isn't possible to fully exhaustively teach a doctrine of Christ in one sermon. But what I can do is just highlight certain facts about Jesus from Hebrews, from Hebrews 1 through 5. And let me tell you, if there's any question or if there's any doubt on any of these things, listen, I would have no problem taking the time to preach more just on each of these subjects. I think we have most of these things down. But listen, if you say, hey, I don't, I'd like to know more about that aspect of Christ, you know what? I wouldn't be against uh, devoting a whole sermon to any of these things, but we're just going to hit several points. I've got, looks like 16 points, but don't let that scare you. I promise I won't take long on any of them. But first off, go to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice what it says there. It says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the the worlds. First off, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is God's messenger, and Jesus Christ was and is God's messenger for the last days. Jesus Christ is God's messenger for the last days. He gave us more. He gave. He did not give us anything that contradicted what the prophets gave us. But let me tell you, He gave us a bunch of things that clarified what the prophets gave us. He also gave us some things to continue what the Scriptures taught. There were things that the prophets had given. There were some things that Moses had given that were temporary. They weren't just for another dispensation. That's a terrible way to put it. But there were things that God gave to Moses to give to the people that were temporary. But God also told Moses, when that prophet is raised up from your own brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hear. Do what he says. And when Jesus Christ came, there were some things that he put an end to. He did put an end to the sacrifices. He did put an end to the ceremonial things, the things of the temple. He put an end to the Levitical priesthood. And he did, and he gave us a message. And he gave us a new covenant. And he gave us a new and better way. And Jesus Christ is God's messenger for the last days. When it came time for this great message that he brought that I wish we could take time to talk more about, God did not send an angel to give it. God did not even send a prophet to give it. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to give that message for the last day. And so the book of Hebrews, the theme of, of the book of Hebrews, it's all about Jesus, and that is Jesus is better. Jesus is better is the theme of Hebrews. Jesus Christ, also we see in verse 2, is heir of all things. And this is why we do not look to some ethnicity, we do not look to a physical nation, a physical people, and claim any kind of eternal inheritance for them. We do not claim that. Jesus Christ is the one who inherited all things. If you study uh, the Old Testament, you will see that even among the greatest that came from Abraham, they were all flawed individuals. They were all sinners. They all came short of the glory of God. All of them broke the law of God until we get to one who was of the seed of Abraham, who was born of a virgin, whose name was Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus Christ inherited the throne of David. Jesus Christ inherited all the promises that God gave to Abraham. Jesus Christ inherited all things. And so we, while today and as of yesterday, we see more land dispute going on over there in the nation of Israel. Hey, just understand, Jesus inherited that. Jesus inherited all things. The promise is not to any ethnicity. It's not to any people. It's to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Abraham's seed. Jesus Christ is the true Israel. Jesus Christ is the one whom he said by whom he made the worlds, which is not a reference to planets, but a reference to ages. And all things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, no matter what so-called dispensation someone is from, Jesus Christ is the hope of all people from all times. Jesus Christ was the one that Abraham believed in. Jesus Christ is the one that was with the church in the wilderness. It was always about Jesus Christ. And even though Jesus is the son of David, even David referred to him as Lord. You know why? Because Jesus was before David. Jesus was before Abraham. Jesus is the I Am. He is all these things. And so Jesus Christ inherits all things. And good news, this is a separate doctrine, you could say, but we are joint heirs with the one who inherited all things. So guess what? That means it all, it all is going to us eventually. Okay? Now, we can't cash in our inheritance yet. Okay? Now, I don't know what this is like, but imagine what it would be like to have like a super rich relative while you're really poor, knowing knowing that when they go, that's all mine. You know, that, that'd be, I don't know, that'd be a bad situation too because then you're almost hoping for them to go if you don't have a good relationship with them. But just understand everything, okay? Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. And so, you know, it is, when I see people fighting over the land, over in Israel and things like that, you know, I'm not real worried about it. But at the same time too, you can't help but like, hey, they're messing with my inheritance over there. I'm not, it's not time for me to get it yet. Okay, it's not time for me to claim anything yet. I'm not going to get involved in that fight. I'm not fighting with anybody as far, hey, whoever can have it as far as I'm concerned, but they're messing with my stuff. <laughs> in the future, not right now, but in the future because we are joint heirs with Christ and I'm thankful for that. Look at verse three of Hebrews one. It says, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by his, by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Two things we see about that is Jesus is the one who purged us from our sins and he is the one who has all authority, which is why we go to Christ for salvation. For one, Jesus Christ is the one who made payment for sins. It's his blood that cleanses us from sins. It's his sacrifice that is acceptable to God as an atonement for our sins. But also, Jesus is the one in all authority, meaning if we don't get saved, he's the one that we're in trouble with because after he went and purged our sins, he went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He has all authority. He is the one that every knee will bow to one of these days. He is the one that's going to judge the nations. He is the one that's going to pour his wrath out on those who have not received the atonement for their sins. So Jesus Christ is the one who paid for all. And which so because he's seated at the right hand of the Father, this makes him the judge. Jesus Christ is the priest. Jesus Christ is the king. He's Alpha and Omega. 
first and the last. I mean, we can go on and on with all the things that Jesus is. He's everything, folks. All our songs today, you know what? They were all about Jesus. Abby special. It was about Jesus, about getting to know him. This sermon, it's all about Jesus. He has always got to be the focal point of everything. He's got to come first in all things. He should have the preeminence. The main thing we need to get is that Jesus is just the main thing in everything. He is the focus. He is the, he is the primary thing we talk about. Whenever you talk about your salvation, it should not be your dramatic testimony. Okay. You know what? I mean, thank God for people who had a dramatic situation and got saved. But at the end of the day, it was Christ's dramatic story that gets us saved. The fact that he lived a sinless life, he died a horrible death, he stayed on the cross in spite of the shame and the spitting and the carrying the weight of sin in his holy body. It's his dramatic story that saves us, not yours. Not, not, it's, it's not your story. Our story is his story. He, our testimony is his testimony. That's why we believe in eternal security because of the fact that salvation is not, is, we're not the author of our salvation. Our works are not what save us. Our works are not what keep us saved. Jesus Christ is the author of salvation because he is the one who earned it. He is the one who paid for it and he is the one who freely has given it to us. And therefore we can in fact talk about eternal salvation because it's his story. We see in verse 4, it says, "...being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Jesus, notice, is better than the angels." Hey, and folks, look in the Bible. Angels are pretty cool. Angels are pretty powerful. I think there was one angel wiped out like 70,000 people at one time. I mean, they have a lot of power. They have a lot of glory. They have, you know, there, there's a lot that they're able to do. But you know what? Not only is Jesus better than the angels, he has a better name than the angels too. Meaning he has more authority than the angels. You know what that tells me too? And we have a place in the Bible that happens to tell us this. If you ever get a message from an angel and they give you another gospel, don't listen to it. You ever, and you know what? I mean, hey, you might, I, when somebody tells, if somebody tells me I got a message from an angel, I'll just give it to them. But, don't be deceived, Satan himself can be transformed into an angel of light. And understand, we don't listen to anything, anyone, any angel, that gives us something contrary to the Scriptures. You know why? Because this is the Word of God. This has the name of Jesus on it, and so it trumps what an angel tells you. So whether it be an angel, whether it be your, uh, you know, the spirit of your dead loved one, whether it be the Apostle Paul coming back, okay, the Word of God, this has the name of Christ on it, and this is what we follow because He is above all things. We see in verse 8, it says, But unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And you know what? We reject all religions. We reject all who deny the deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. There is no doubt about it. The Bible is crystal clear on that. And again, I'm just wanting to preach. Every, every one of these points, I just want to preach a sermon on that. I can't do that because you don't want to hear me preach 16 sermons in one. But at the same time, 
you have any questions about that, you question the deity of Christ, you question whether or not Jesus is God, let me know. I'd be glad to preach more on it. I don't want to just assume. Okay? And don't feel bad. Again, it's very easy for me as a pastor to just make an assumption wrongly that everybody gets something. If you don't get something, you don't, you don't need to feel bad about it. Sometimes I'm studying things and, and, and so I've got it down. So I, I think everybody does. Sometimes I preach on a subject and I just don't do a very good job communicating. You know, in fact, I won't even say which one it was because I, I'm, I'm my own worst critic. But I was thinking about a sermon I preached the other day on a certain subject. And I was like, I didn't do a very good job. I need to do it again. It's like, I, 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 I think I'm going to do another one on that subject because I went back and I listened to it. And I was like, you know, that wasn't very good. Nobody told me it wasn't very good. But I told me it wasn't very good. And I was like, you know what? If I want our people to be solid on that subject... They need a better sermon than that. And, and I put the work into it, but sometimes the communication doesn't do the best. So you guys might be getting another sermon on a subject I preach uh, recently. Not because, not because you need it and you were slow to listen. I just, it just wasn't very good. We, 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 we preach some duds every once in a while, folks. We do. We, uh, no, nobody, nobody's perfect. We preach some duds. So Jesus uh, is God. Verse 9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is righteousness. Righteousness is in him. Righteousness can only be found in him. That is, again, that is why he is the name whereby we must be saved. It's his name. We don't, and we don't, we don't mess with the name of Christ. In fact, I had, I had a dream last night. I, I, I dreamt last night we were sitting in a service and some, pre, and we had a guest speaker in. I, and, and I remember as he started preaching, he started like going into just all these different Greek and Hebrew names and was refusing to say Jesus. And like everybody in here, including me, we all started flipping out. And we like stopped it right there. And, and I was like so proud of everybody that they just immediately responded with hostility. To someone messing with the name of Jesus. And I'd like to think we would do that. I'd like to think, and we should do that. Somebody messes with the name above all names, you know, trying to call us back to, you know, trying to Judaize us and stuff. For sure we ought to react, host, you know, in a hostile way to that. And unfortunately, that's not happening in a lot of churches, but it did in our church, in my dream. Okay. But hopefully, ho- hopefully nobody will ever get up and do that in, in this pulpit here. But uh, so Jesus is uh, Jesus is righteous. Jesus is the creator. It says in verse 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thine hands. And, you know, a lot of people like to bring up, you know, because we'll talk about God in our founding documents and things like that. And, you know, and people are like, well, you know, Jesus isn't mentioned, though. So it's any God is fine. Well, you know, what, but when it does say our creator Y'all understand, the Bible's very clear who the Creator is. And the Creator, according to the Word of God, is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is referenced in the Declaration of Independence. When it says, endowed by our Creator, okay, if you need, if you need any help who that is, we see right here in Hebrews, it's Jesus Christ. And there's other places in the Bible that show us that too. Again, I'm not preaching a sermon on that, but Jesus is, in fact, mentioned. They just didn't use that name, but they used one of his attributes that he did, and one of his names, and that is creator. Jesus is the creator. Verse 11, they shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth the garment, 
and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Jesus Christ is also eternal. And again, which is why we know we have eternal life. Because our life is in the Son, and since His life is eternal, our life is eternal. If you are in Christ, you have eternal life. And this is just one more verse too to show it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense to teach that one can lose their eternal life. It, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And, le, and the only reason one would think you could lose eternal life is if they have the belief that eternal life is somehow gained by our works. And you can't find that in the Scripture. You find opposite of that in the Scripture. Eternal life is obtained by believing on the one who has eternal life, the one who is eternal life. It's about having his life. And so uh, there's a song that I heard a long time ago called, We're Only Going to Live As Long As God Lives. And you know what that is? That's eternal. That's forever. And we can claim that right now if you have faith in Jesus Christ. We see in verse 13, But to which of the angels... Said he at any time. Whenever it's saying it, when did he say this to the angels? It's just showing Jesus is better than them. This is another reference to Jesus being better than the angels. Said he at any time, sit thou, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? So notice he never said to the angels, sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. But he did say that to Jesus Christ. You know why? Because Jesus Christ does have enemies, but Jesus Christ will defeat all enemies. And understand, right now, God does allow the enemies of Christ to prevail temporarily. Understand, the devil and the enemies of Christ often have temporary victories. For example, often God's people have been martyred. That is a temporary victory by the devil, but it's not a permanent victory by the devil. You know why? Because every martyr of Christ is going to rise again from the dead one of these days. Never to die again. And Satan is going to be cast in the lake of fire. Jesus Christ is going to return one of these days, and he is going to defeat all enemies. We see wicked governments often have temporary victories, but they never last because in the end, the final battle is going to be fought and it is going to be won by Jesus Christ. His enemies are going to be his footstool. And, we, and we're looking forward to that day. So just understand, we are often going to see in our lifetime the world and the devil have victories. But always remember, his victories are temporary. It's always a temporary victory. Even if someone dies, it's a temporary victory. And we talked about that last week when we talked about the return of Christ. So Jesus will defeat all enemies. Look at chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praise unto thee. And folks, man, these the, to think that people often teach that Hebrews proves you can lose your salvation. When Hebrews, I think, has the best eternal salvation verses that there is. 
And notice what he notice what he said right there. Both he that sanctifieth, that's Jesus, and they who are sanctified, that's us, are all of one. So again, we're one with Christ. Therefore, we are going to live as long as he lives. And he is going to live for all eternity. And notice, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not even ashamed of us. Now, folks, it, I, when it comes to even the Christians that I love the most, some of the best Christians I've ever known, there have been a lot of times I've been kind of ashamed. Okay? Have, have you ever been ashamed of a brother before in Christ? Okay, many times that's happened. I am often ashamed. Of my, I, you know, yesterday I was very ashamed of a lot of my preacher brethren by some of the stuff that I was seeing on social media. I was, I was ashamed. But why is it, how is it that Christ could not be ashamed of us? You know why? Because our standing in Christ is not about our works. It is about His works. It is about how He has cleansed us and He has sanctified us. And folks, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But understand what God sees and what we are in Christ is something that is eternal, it is one with Christ, and it is something that He is not ashamed of. There is no way what I am looking at right now is what He is not ashamed of. I can only see the flesh. That's all, that's all I can see. But let me tell you what I can't see, who we are in Christ, what you have in your heart and in your soul, because you, you put your faith and trust in Christ, He's not ashamed of it, folks. And while we might be a mess right now, and while we probably, you know, in, in, for lack of a better term, you could say in some ways, it's like, it seems like he should be ashamed of us right now. He's not because he can see the end from the beginning and he knows what we are going to be one of these days. But again, all glory, all glory goes to him. There's just, there's no, there's no way, folks, it's, it's amazing that people who claim to believe in Christ are trying to figure some way to get out of salvation. There's no way out of it. There's absolutely no way out of, out of true salvation. So Jesus Christ, He is our substitute. We see in verse 16, it says, For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. And we already mentioned this before, but Jesus was Abraham's seed. Jesus is that one that He promised Abraham, In thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That was a reference to Jesus Christ. He is that promised seed. He is that seed of a woman that would bruise the head of Satan. Jesus is the one that the prophet spoke of. Jesus is that salvation. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is, is the offering from sin. He is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He, he's everything. Jesus Christ, he, look at verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Jesus Christ is our high priest, and he is our only priest. Y'all need to get a hold of that too, because there's a lot of religions out there that are trying to add additional mediators in between you and God. God wanted God wants you to have access to him, and God has provided only one way to Him. There is only one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you have something that you want to take to God, you know what? You don't need to go through me to get to God. You don't need to go through any pastor. You don't need to go through any priest. You don't need to go through any man other than Jesus Christ. You must go through Jesus Christ. You must go through Him. Folks, God is holy. And if you learn anything from the Old Testament and those holy sacrifices that they did, is sinful man cannot be in the presence of a holy God. So if we are going to have access to God, we have to have a mediator, a priest, an offering. We've, we've got to have an atonement. All of these things, we have to have those things if we're going to be able to go in the presence of the holy God and not drop dead. And Jesus Christ is every one of those things. Jesus Christ is the tabernacle. Jesus Christ is the priest. He's the Passover lamb. He, he, he's everything that you could need. He is the cleansing. He is the offerings. Don't you bring anything to God. Don't you bring your own works to God. No. Bring Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We, we, call, we claim Him. We claim His sacrifice for our sins. We acknowledge that He is our only hope of salvation. And we bring Jesus Christ. That's all. He, he is the mediator. And what a shame it is that people are adding other men. That, that, is, a, that is a wrong thing to do. Thank God for people who gave us the gospel. But when you got saved as Baptists, one of our distinctives that we believe in is the priesthood of the believer. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. You've got the Catholic Church. They've been debating for a long time about whether they should ordain women priests. Hey, if you're a Baptist, ladies, you're a priest too. And you have direct access to the high priest. You, have, you, you, don't, you don't need to go through me to get to God. You can go directly to Him yourself. You know why? Because of what Jesus Christ did for you. That's not you usurping authority over a man or anything like that. That's you having direct access to God because of what Jesus Christ did for you. So, yeah, in the Baptist church, we do have female priests. Maybe not female pastors, but we have, we have female priests. And every, everyone who is saved here is a priest. We believe that is a distinctive of ours in the priesthood of the believer. And so... Jesus, uh, turn, we'll ch turn to chapter 3. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, verse 1, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, with a capital A, and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our profession. And what is that? That word apostle it literally means sent. And God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus was sent by God to earth to be that sacrifice for sin. He was sent by God to do the work of salvation so man could be saved and we could one day walk with God again and see His face and all those things that man lost because of their sin. Jesus Christ was sent by God to do all those things. And so Jesus' works are what we profess, not our own works. He was sent on our behalf to be the sacrifice for sin. Jesus also is our rest. Chapter 4 and verse 9 says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So Jesus is our rest. And folks, 
I, I, I need you to remember this point. I think it's, I think next week, next week we're going to be, yeah, next week we're going to be talking about repentance from dead works. We're going to talk about the doctrine of repentance next week. And let me just kind of give you a, a, a little preview here. But notice the problem that these Hebrews had that they are writing to. They were trying to work for their own salvation. They thought they were keeping the law. They thought that they were doing good works. They thought because they didn't do certain things that they had achieved some righteousness. And some of them, like the Apostle Paul, before he got saved, was working very hard for their salvation. But the writer of Hebrews, who many believe is the Apostle Paul, said, hey, you know what you need to do? You actually need a rest. You need to enter into his rest. You know what you need to do? You need to repent of your dead works. These are people who are doing all these works, who are repenting of, trying to repent of all their sins and do all these things. They needed to repent of that and they needed to have faith in Christ. The way we get saved, it's not by working harder to be good, but it's by just really, it, 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 we cease from our labors. We enter into his rest. We recognize, hey, there is a rest for the people of God. His yoke is easy. His burden's light. I'm weary. I'm heavy laden from trying to do all these things, from trying to do all these works. I'm going directly to Jesus Christ for the free gift of eternal life. That's what, that's what we do. We enter into his rest. Jesus is our rest. And so, listen, I try to do good out of love for him. I try to do good because I want to live a better life on this earth. But let me tell you, I don't do anything that I do for heaven. I cease from my labors. On the day that I got saved, I am not trying to work my way into heaven. I believe that I could quit doing the work that I'm doing for the Lord and I would still go to heaven. I think my life wouldn't be as good if I did. And so I'm going to keep, I'm, I'm going to keep on going. I don't believe my rewards in heaven would be as great if I quit working for him. But let me tell you, I don't need to do anything else to go to heaven. I'm already at rest. And, uh, and so, in fact, for someone to go to heaven, they need to go to him for rest. They need to cease from their labors. That's what repentance is. And that's especially what repentance is for those who are trying to work their way to heaven. Repentance is entering into his rest. And so we'll talk more about that next week. But we, uh, chapter 5, look what it says in chapter 5, verse 4. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, <clears throat> but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that saith unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he saith also another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was appointed by God to be high priest forever. He was appointed. Y'all want to know what uh, 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 that word appointed or anointed is often, a term that's often used for that, that is Messiah, chosen, anointed, uh, it's a holy one. Obviously, it's a very special term there, Messiah. But God appointed Jesus Christ. When God is looking for someone who can be a high priest, God appointed Jesus Christ. And what a great honor that was. No man takes that honor unto himself. Jesus didn't claim it for himself. I can try to claim some honor for myself, and I can try to do even what something... Uh, you know, that I might have to get elected for. I can just, just try, try to be president or something like that. But imagine, you know, there's some things 
that you do, you have to be chosen for by those who are in authority. If I want to be president, I've got to win an election because they're the ones that choose. If I want to be a Supreme Court justice, I've got to get appointed by the one who has the authority to put somebody in that position. And that is the president of the United States. They've got to be confirmed by the Senate and all that kind of stuff. Well, if somebody wants to be a high priest, you know what? God chooses them. And God chose Jesus Christ. And so, what an honor that was that he gave to his son. And Jesus Christ, look at verse 7. This is the last one. We'll look at chapter 5. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and priest after the order of Melchizedek. Notice how it says that Christ, through that, he learned obedience. You see, while we believe in the Trinity, you have the, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, they're all holy. They're all always going to agree. There's, there's never going to be a conflict there. But let me tell you, when it came to the Holy sinless son of God taking the cup of sin putting that sin on himself he who knew no sin becoming sin for us that was something that put him in great agony that was something there was nothing in him that wanted to do that and it, he was in such great agony he was so sorrowful he said I am sorrow, exceeding sorrowful even unto death he sweat as it were great drops of blood as he prayed that God would let that cup pass from him but you know what God told him I need you to go to the cross. And while there was nothing in him that wanted to do it, he did it. And he learned how to be obedient. And we have to be obedient all the time because we always disagree with God because we're not holy. But you know what? Because Jesus learned obedience, he knows what we go through. He knows how it is. He understands our suffering. And so we can go to him with our challenges. We can go to him with our struggles. And he doesn't just hear us, but he gets it. He understands. Have you ever gone to somebody with a problem? They're like, they don't get it. You know, they, this person doesn't get it. They don't understand what I'm going through. And sometimes we don't. And because of that, we're not, we're not a very good comfort to people because we've never faced those things before. It's kind of like as a parent, you know, when you're getting advice from somebody who doesn't have any kids, you're not usually comforted by that advice. They don't, they don't know what I'm going through. But you know what? If somebody who comes along who has a parent who has gone through those things and they tell you the same thing, it usually feels a little better because like they get it. They understand. And the truth is, Jesus understands what we go through. And so he's a good high priest as a result of that. And he is the author of eternal salvation. And, so, and I've already said it, but salvation is belie- and by believing on Christ is eternal because it is about his work. Salvation that is not eternal is one that is based on works of the individual. And any any salvation where man is the author, it will fail. But salvation where Jesus is the author, it will last forever. And so every salvation that people teach that can be lost is a salvation where man is the author. And I am not the author of my salvation. Jesus is the author of my salvation. And the Bible calls it eternal salvation. And so the reality of what we just saw is this is milk of the word. This is stuff that everybody needs to agree on. This is stuff that everybody needs to get. 
It says in verse 11 of chapter 5, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full of full age, even those by reason of use had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And let me tell you, I want to be able to preach the meat in this church, but I've got to make sure we all got the milk down. And let me tell you, there is nothing wrong, especially if you're a new Christian, if you struggle with some of this stuff. You know, in a church, you always have new people coming in, and we do. We've got to, we've got to redo these things. And sometimes, you know, maybe you started, you, you, know, you, you got in a little late and there's some stuff you missed. Hey, don't be, ever be ashamed to say, hey, I'd like to know more about this. I'd like to know more, and you know, I'd be glad to preach more sermons on this or even refer you to old sermons that I preach because we need to know these things. The doctrine of Christ is the most important thing. And the doctrine of Christ is literally what we read about in Hebrews 1-5. through And obviously there's more to Christ that can't be fully comprehended. I mean, good night. Nobody in here knows everything there is to know about Christ. You know, but... Uh, you know, we have finite minds, but let's not make the mistake too, though, of getting led astray. This is a, a dangerous thing that's going on now by theologians who take you away from the basics and are going to the vain jangling, like we talked about a while back with the feigned words. And we see in 1 Timothy 1, verse 3 says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And this happens a lot where sometimes we get so smart that we end up getting away from the basics of Scripture. And we do. We go, because we want to be teachers, we want to be smart, we go into vain jangling. And let me tell you, it is very difficult to teach heresy about Jesus from using the words and teachings from Hebrews, where it literally gives the doctrine of Christ. But it would be very easy to slip in some heresy if when we... In a lot of churches, if they teach about the doctrine of Christ, you know what they're going to teach you about? Anthropomorphism. And listen, I don't feel like explaining anthropomorphism now, but there's some truth in what they say about that. But you you don't need that to understand Christ when they're talking about perichoresis and ontological trinity and stuff like that. Listen, there's some truth to those things, but those things are, those words are not in the scripture. And when you call those things the doctrine of Christ, it's when they get into those things where they start bringing up things that just minister questions rather than godly edifying. Everything that we saw here in Hebrews 5, right? And hopefully this wasn't one of those dud sermons I was talking about. But hopefully everything that we saw in Hebrews 1 through 5 was easy to understand. It was encouraging and just strengthen your faith. That's what we're supposed to do with the doctrine of Christ. None of that stuff was confusing. It's not confusing. It's all simple stuff. It's the, and it's when we get into these feigned words and things, when things start getting confusing. 
And we go to these catechisms and confessions and things like that that just minister questions rather than godly edifying. Look, the doctrine of Christ is important and let's get our doctrine of Christ directly from the words of God and the Scripture. And so I hope this was a help and a blessing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word and the clear teaching that it gives us. And Lord, it's, it's hard to not talk about all these things and just not come up with a number of things to be thankful for. Lord, I'm just I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful for eternal salvation. I'm thankful that uh, you are the author of salvation, that we are not the author of salvation. Lord, there's just there's so many wonderful things you do for us. I'm thankful that we can come to you with our problems and that you, even though you're holy, you still understand what we go through and the temptations that we deal with. And I pray you'll help us to just take comfort in all these things and help us to continue spreading the message about the rest that comes through uh, going to you for salvation. In your name we pray. Amen.